I can do all things through him who gives me strength. We've heard that before, haven't we? Yet it would be good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know it, the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. 16 for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that this, that not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is more. Be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Ephroditus at the gift you sent. They are a fragment of offering and an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's beautiful, Des. Good reading. Thank you. You can go and sit down again. That's great. Do you want this bit? Okay. Well, well that was beautiful. Des, we love, we love you doing that. And what a, what, a, what a grand job you did. Bless you. Well, we're in Philippines. We're nearing, you'll be pleased to know, I hope, uh, that we're nearing the end of Philippians. Uh, we've got another couple more sessions. This is part two of a message that we began last week about money and how we use it. Let me tell you uh, about a film. It's, just, uh, it's a Zac Efron film. Now, that doesn't mean I'm a fan of high school musical, okay? You may be. <laughs> doesn't mean I am. But I know Zac Efron. He's in this movie. It's called Gold. Um, I think it's set in Australia, if I remember correctly. But look, it's in the future. There's not many people left on the earth. He's traveling somewhere uh, in, in, into this outback place for a job. And on the way there, um, he and I think it's his taxi driver discover gold, a huge nugget. And they, but they can't get it out. And so Zach is to stay with it. His taxi driver, Keith, is to go and get a... a big digger to dig it out and he's to guard it and he's gone away and look so how do you think this goes well Zach there's a woman interested in it who comes by and guess what lengths he goes through to protect the gold what do you think he does when he comes to the matter of protecting the gold he kills her to protect the gold this decent character yes worse Keith who's gone to get the bulldozer he comes back with the bulldozer, but he doesn't go up to Zach. He's hiding, waiting for, Z for Zach to die, starve to death, or be eaten by animals, so that he can get all the gold for himself. In the meantime, while Zach gets killed, you know, waiting for the gold because he wants it, the woman's sister who was murdered by Zach is now watching for the gold, and she kills a guy with a bulldozer. And it's not even a comedy. 
But do you see the point? What wealth, money, what gold can do? Hey, wealth, the desire to grasp it, can bring out the worst in us. The most evil of things. And that's just a movie, but in real life, these things do happen. Don't they? When it comes to money, boy, wills and so forth. Can there be some difficulty? In fact, Jesus says money can be such a problem that it can keep us out of heaven. Money can keep us out of heaven. Listen to this verse, Matthew 19. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says it. Money can keep us out of heaven. It's easier for a, for a rich man, easier for a camel to go for an eye of a needle, which is obviously impossible, than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not, not that money's evil. There's nothing intrinsically evil about money. Look, I've got some money. Well, I used to have some money, okay? But there's nothing evil about it. It's our relationship to it. And that's what we're going to look at. Last week we began to look at some points. And let me sum them up with you, what we began to look at last week. Look, our heading is, um, if you would just bring it up, please, the secret to a fullness of life. Our heading today is being without need is found in sacrificially investing in Christ's gospel. But here's what we said last week, a couple of points. We said, first of all, we shouldn't think of giving as giving. Sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? But giving is not giving, it's the I word. What do we say it is? Investing, thank you. We're not giving money away. We're investing it into our own kingdom that we belong to, a kingdom of Jesus that we belong to. Um, secondly, we said that when we're investing, we're actually investing in our super. Where's our super? Who remembers? Where's our super? It's in heaven. Thank you. And amen. You have, and look, this isn't a televangelist speaking. Okay, they won't put me on TV. Okay? Uh, there really is a super for every Christian. When we give to God's work, we invest in it. This is last week. You can listen to it again. And the third thing we said is, what do we confuse? What do we, rel- what do we consign worship to? And, and it's, the only thing we, it's the only thing we think is worship. What do we tend to think worship is? If I said to you now, let's worship, what would you say? Singing. Now, that is worship. That is worship. We're not saying it's not. But there are many expressions of worship. And Paul says giving is a fragrant offering, acceptable, it's an acceptable sacrifice, it's pleasing to God. That's language taken directly from temple worship, the cultus. When we give, and Jerry said, bless you Jerry, you were right. When we gave just, when we invested just, we're worshipping God. Amen. Amen. Worshipping God. Now today, today... We want to move from those three aspects to verse 19. Listen to this. And my God will meet all your needs. Can you say this is connected? And God. As a result of what? The and is doing what? What's he connecting this with? Yes, thank you, Sid. Paul is very specifically and deliberately saying this. That God responds to our giving and as a consequence of our investment in the kingdom, 
direct consequences, that closely related. I'm going to sound like a televangelist the whole morning. Please forgive me, okay? But it's related, says Paul, and as a consequence of turning on our investing in the kingdom, God will meet all our needs. And how far can God go according to his riches? He can go as far as he needs to go. So here's what Paul's saying to the church of Philippi. Look, you're giving, you're sacrificially giving. Here's what God says to you. Yeah, you're investing in the future. But hey, look, be honest. I mean, heaven and the super, you know, it's a long way away, isn't it? We can make it quicker. But, but, but it's a long way away. And we're not thinking that far ahead always, are we? And hence why Paul says, hey, 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 it's not all jam tomorrow. No, God will meet your needs. This is present. This is, it's about, it's, it is void. The text allows you to be void. God's going to meet all your needs. But he's particularly speaking about God meeting our financial need as we invest. In God's kingdom. It's what Paul says. And because of that, God will meet your needs according to your glo- his glorious riches. Now, let me tell you about the church of Philippi. They're giving all this money to Paul, all this investment. And remember, we're not just talking about money, all this manpower. They were giving Epaphroditus, you know, and all the cost involved in that. So they're partnering with him in giving people and finances. So here's the thing, I, you, know what, you know why I think they're doing it? They've got loads of money. Philippi is a wealthy Roman colony. This church is probably loaded. Look, it's got, it's got who, who's it got in there who's really wealthy? It's a lady. Lydia. Lydia, she's loaded. She is. Because of course they're giving all this money, and they've probably got 5,000 people. Seriously, they can give you Epaphroditus, his left, right, and center. How many people do you think they have? Do you know what the average size of a New Testament church was? Someone have a guess? Yes, a house church. How many people can you get in a big Roman house? Not 5,000. This is a small church on the breadline. Let me show you. This is what Paul says to the Corinthians about them. He goes, And now, brothers, we want you to know by the grace of our God that was given to us, given, uh, God has given the Macedonian churches, out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy, and listen to this, this is Philippi he's talking about, their extreme wealth. Is that what he says? Out of their extreme poverty. Out of their extreme poverty, they welled up with generosity. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing, although... They were living on the breadline. That's what Paul says. This wasn't a wealthy church. This wasn't a church with 5,000 people. They gave out of their poverty. When they gave Epaphroditus, they needed him. He needed to be in that church. They were lacking people, no doubt. They needed their money to function. The only wealthy people in that person in that church is Lydia, and the rest of them, it seems, are Paul. And yet, says Paul, it was out of that poverty that they gave. Look, extreme poverty here. Look, if you're interested in the Greek, the Greek, uh, two Greek words here, and it means literally, literally, poverty of, of the lowest scale. And so Paul writes, 
to this church who's in need, who gives out of their needs. Hey, hey, God saw what you did. And, and, in direct relationship to that, God will meet all your needs. God will honour your sacrifice, says Paul, as you give to him when he really, really costs you. You know, I think I may have said this some time ago. Look, there's a joke of a farming couple and the husband runs in uh, to the wife and says, hey, look, look, uh, we've had two calves. You know that pregnant cow? Well, she's given birth to two calves, a brown one and a white one. And, and he goes, and do you, do you know what I felt in my spirit? God's been so good to us. We should, we should give one of them to the Lord, dedicate one to the Lord and sell the proceedings and, and give it to God's work. And the wife says, well, that sounds like a great idea. Okay? And sometime later, he runs back into the kitchen. Uh, no, no, sorry. In the same conversation, she says, she says, which one shall we give to the Lord? The brown one or the white one? And he goes, oh, don't worry about that. You know, when the time comes, we'll decide which one we'll give to the Lord. You know, why worry about that bridge now? Because fair enough. Sometime later, he comes back into the kitchen, runs to his wife and goes, oh, no, you won't believe what happened. One of the calves is dead. And it's the one that belongs to the Lord. <laughs> and she goes, yeah, well, I, th- I thought you hadn't decided which one was God's. I go, oh, no, 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 I always knew it was going to be the brown one. That was always in the back of my mind. I just hadn't said it. The Lord's calf is dead. Here's what um, a theologian, Martin Lloyd-Jones, pastor says. It's always the Lord's calf that dies. When money becomes difficult, the first thing we economize on is our contribution to God's work. It's always the first thing to go. It's true, isn't it? Hey, when things get hard, what's the first direct debit you cancel? The one to the church. The one to the mission. The reality is, friends, it's always the Lord's calf that dies first, that takes the pain. For the church of Philippi, it was so different. Here's a church, here's a church who, when all the calves are dead, they're given the last one to the Lord. And it's in response to that that Paul says, God sees that and will meet all your need. Look, we're a family, and I can say this to you. Look, when things get difficult, it should never be, do I pay that bill first? Or do I invest in the kingdom? We know, don't we, the answer is, we keep investing in the kingdom. Now look, what you do with that, hey, look, I'm not here to beat you up about giving. I'm just trying to preach the Bible. It's what you've asked me to do. But that seems to be the emphasis here, is that we're not to cut God's portion from our giving. The minute things get difficult. Here's, 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 here's the method of how we ought to give. It's true, isn't it? Is that the first standing order to go out ought to be the 
the one to invest in the kingdom. If we do as to the month, that ought to be the first one, so that it's gone ever before we realise we're in any difficulty. And God willing, uh, we may not be. So the first point is, is that God responds to how we are. And it may get difficult, but the Philippian church gave out of their difficulty. Their difficulty didn't become an excuse not to give. Here's what Paul says. Look, look. okay, so we're to give even when it's difficult, but how much? Okay, so it gets difficult. What I can do, I can cut down my giving. Can't I? Why tithe? I can give at 2%. Here's what Paul says, and I think it's really interesting. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. How do we choose how much we give, especially when it gets difficult? Well, God says he... These are the words that Paul Royce, he's quoting Jesus, I'm going to show you. God says, I notice the level of generosity that you're expressing. Remember what he said about the widow who put the might in? The text isn't there, Greg, but remember that? He noticed, how much did she give? All she had. Hey, Christian, should I give 10% of my income? Should I tithe? Hey, God notices the generosity I use. And this is what he says, if we sow sparingly, we will reap sparingly. That's strong words, on it? And Paul's only quoting Jesus. Remember, this is what Jesus said, Luke 3. Give, and it will be given to you. We, we know the principle. But listen to him. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be poured into your lap. And here's, here's the scale. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Can you see how Jesus puts it? How generous is God towards us? Jesus says there's a direct correlation between our generosity towards investing in the kingdom and his generosity in responding to us. Look, it does. It really sounds like televangelist stuff. You give fifty dollars. I can do. The, I can do the voice. Okay, and God will give you. $100 right now. Your $100 is waiting in God's bank account. Put your 50 in. And it sounds a bit like that, doesn't it? But here's the point. Just because they abuse God's scripture, it doesn't mean we shouldn't preach the truth, does it? Just because someone's abusing these texts and trying to take advantage of, of, of unwitting Christians, it doesn't mean that we have to throw the Bible out with a bathwater. No, I think it just means that we preach it properly, accurately, faithfully. We are, what, what this scripture is not saying, let me tell you what it's not saying. It's not saying what that televangelist told you. It's not saying this. Look, I've got a bank, banking app on my phone. Or my phone's over there. And, and if, I, if you put a deposit in there for me of $50, it goes, bing, it's there. I'm expecting $50. That's not how giving works. And, and I don't think we have to read Jesus like that. He is not saying, if you invest $100 in the kingdom, 
Jerry, your phone's going to go bing. There's going to be $100 back in your bank. Or $150. I don't, that's not the thrust of the text. That is not the principle here. But nevertheless, there is a principle. Look, it's, it's a bit like this. Here's what a commentator says. Let me just quote to you, Marshall. Men will receive from God according to the measure that they themselves have employed. So it's not mechanical, is what we're trying to say. We don't put in $100 into God's kingdom, into the community, this faith community, and get back $100 or 150 But in some sense, the two are related. God sees the generosity, or to use a strong term, the stinginess, and responds, responds in some way to that. Can you see the point? So we're not saying you put your 15 and get 50 back, but the scripture is saying there is some relationship. God notices our generosity, responds generous, generous, generously. God notices our stinginess, you know, tight-fistedness, whatever term we're going to use, and, and responds like that. You know, God notices our indifference. We don't really care about what the church needs. They'll manage. Somebody, you know, you'll give your seat if Joe doesn't. God notices that. And responds to that. So how much should I give? That's the first question we're asking. How much should I give? If God is noticing my generosity, Montas, you idiot. Don't be so stingy with God. Montas. Be generous. I think that's the first point. How much should I give? Be generous. How much should I invest? Be generous. God notices that. Be generous. Secondly, second principle, giving is to be, mind your own business, you. Okay? Giving is to be, private. We endeavour as a team, you know, not to look you know, uh, to let our finances handle the church finances. Okay? Because giving is to be a very private affair. Giving is to be private and joyful. Okay? Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly, under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. Please don't hear me saying it. If you think I've said it, please forgive me. I am not telling you to give more money. I'm not. Seriously. I would never do that. I'm just trying to preach what Jesus is asking of us and saying Jesus is expecting us to be generous. But it's to be something that is private, decided in our own hearts, okay? And it's to be done in such a way, look, can I say this? If this is how we give, goodness sake, they just want my money. They just want my money. I've got things to buy, places to go. Okay? That kind of... Jesus sees that. He picks up on those vibes. It doesn't have, it doesn't have the same impact, if you like. Hey. Hey, you know when we give next time? May God put it in my heart and yours to feel, hey, what a joy 
What a joy. What a joy. Hey. Wow. Keep it to yourself. Don't tell anybody. I don't want to know. Okay? And neither does she. And she may want to know, but don't tell her. Okay? It's a private thing. It's what you decide in your own heart. It's what you decide in your own heart. I was just going to say about kids quickly. You know what kids are like? Kids love presents, don't they? Kids love presents. <laughs> have you ever given, asked your child, have you ever asked your child to give a present to somebody else? Another child. <laughs> Seriously. They just can't get it around the head. Why am I giving away a present? Hey, let's, let's give. Willingly, joyfully. You know, with some enthusiasm. Uh, the third one is, okay, so, so we have to give generously, privately. And this is an important one, otherwise giving never works well. We have to do it as an organised activity. As an organised activity. Here's what Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians. On the first day of the week, Sunday, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, giving it, saving it, so that when I come, no collections will need to be made. Can you see what Paul is saying? Look, look, I want you to think about this. I, I want you to, to plan it. I want you to organise it. I want you to put money aside. I want it to be ready so that when, when the collection comes, it's ready to be taken. Because, because, look, if you just turn up on the Lord's Day, you haven't thought about it, you've made no plans, and we say, now come to take the collection, what will happen? What do you do when you're at the restaurant and your mate's with you and you wonder who's going to pay? It's like, oh, I don't think I did this with Matt. It always works. I don't think I bought my wallet. You know, oh no, I left it in the car. Shall I go back for it? It's raining. Do you want me to go back for the wallet in the car? You know, look, organize yourselves, says Paul. Make plans. You know, set up a standing order. It makes it easier. Think about it the night before. If you really want to handle in cash, Get it out of the bank. Paul is saying to the church here, do it in an organised way because if we don't do it in an organised way, we know, don't we? If we don't plan to give, you know what we said about prayer? We don't pray because we don't want to pray. We don't pray because we don't organise ourselves to pray. We don't give sometimes not because we're not willing to give. It's because we haven't made any effort to do it, to put something into plan to set up something or to go and get some money out or to come with our bank card so we can use an Eftos machine. Hey, you know, discipline is, so, discipline is such a key thing in so many areas of life, isn't it? It makes such a difference in so many areas. It makes a difference in the area of giving. So it's to be an organised activity. And the last one, last one, Giving is an activity, and this is, this is shocking stuff. If I haven't shocked you already, this is shocking. Okay, I don't know who put this in the Bible. Giving is to be something we excel in. Seriously, excel. Okay, which means do well, I think. Look, 2 Corinthians 8. But as, as, just as you excel in everything, you, you excel in speech, you excel in faith, you excel in knowledge... And, okay, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, you excel in everything. You're A1 church. And they're thinking, oh, great. And then he, said, then he, then he kind of daggers them, doesn't he? He goes, how about this? Excelling giving. You're just, that's, you're just like in one thing. You're doing so well in this, you're doing so well in this. How about excelling in giving? 
And you're like, did he really say that? Yes, Paul says that. Excel in giving. It's another Greek word. And it actually means, look, it means this. Okay, it's all Greek, I know. Okay, it's to do something abundantly, plentifully, in large quantities. It's obvious, it is thinking financially here, isn't it? So let me ask you, how am I doing for time? Okay. My clock stopped. Uh, okay, let me give you some details. Because you know the worst thing about preachers? They preach all this stuff, but never actually give you any really concrete details. You know, so, so look, here's some detail. Let me say one thing to you. Excelling is beyond. What, what am I going to say next? If Paul wants us to excel, excel is giving that is beyond what? Yes, thank you, Greg. You know, I hate preaching sometimes. And I'm kind of feeling that right now. I wish I had another job. <laughs> okay, I don't want to say this. Excelling and giving means it goes beyond tithing. Tithing is an Old Testament principle. I, I can't argue this in one five-minute second. This is two sermons. But let me tell you briefly. Tithing is an Old Testament principle. The New Testament principle is beyond tithing. That is the principle of the New Testament. What it suggests is New Testament giving isn't less than giving 10% of our income. That's not even Old Testament, let alone New Testament. New Testament giving begins at tithing 10% of our income. And the trajectory is how much did the widow give? How much did the church in Acts, the early church, give when they sold everything? What does Paul say here? New Testament giving is 10% of our income is just the beginning of giving. New Testament giving is excelling, it's going beyond tithing, beyond 10%. Hey, as New Testament Christians, when we've given a tenth of our incomes, invested it in the kingdom. We haven't finished giving. We've just started. We've just begun to give. Which means to give less, to invest less, means we haven't even started investing in the kingdom appropriately. There's a famous preacher, I don't need to mention his name. He does, what an example. Okay, he may have more money than you and me, but listen to this. He does reverse tithing. What do you think reverse tithing is? He, he keeps 10% and gives 90 away. And I'm like, God, I'm a stingy Christian. Hey, how much should we give generously? If, we've only, if we're just tithing, we've just begun. God bless you. We've only just begun. May not be anything less. And finally, finally, here's what Paul says. We looked at it earlier, but I'll finish with this. I have received full payment, and even more, I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. 
That's how we worship. That's how we worship God. Generously, privately, joyfully, organizedly. We excel. We begin with tithing. But we aim to go beyond that. And says Paul, and says Paul, and God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. May God grant us the grace to excel in giving. Amen. Thank you. Living Word Bible Church Teaching the Bible verse by verse. There are some sermons that are just really difficult to preach. But let me pray. I'll pray briefly. Uh, and our musicians, as I'm praying, would you guys just come up? You can.